0: So who is it in your world and in your life um, that when you think about, who is it that you, um, who are some of the people that you respect the most? For me, one of the things that I always respect about another person um, is how it is that they actually handle um, the adversity that comes in life. How is it that they handle um, the difficult circumstances of life? People um, who have walked through a fire or two, Right, people who have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, people who have experienced um, adversity and they yet they didn't um, they, they didn't strike back. Right, people who have been hurt, but they didn't try to hurt back. Um, people who have experienced uh, unfairness or um, injustice, maybe, and, and they didn't. Um, they didn't try to, to personally seek revenge. Maybe people um, who experienced tremendous difficulty um, in regards to their health, and yet in the midst of all of it, they didn't, they didn't give up the hope. They, they didn't give up their, their quest for life with the people who they love. Right? Isn't it true? Don't, um, don't you respect people like that? Today is the final week in our series, Hindsight is 2020. And the reason I wanted to talk about this series together as we move into this brand new year. Um, is because all of us, right? All for every single one of us, when we think about not only what we have been through individually or, um, or, or communally, culturally in this past year, but even when we look back over the course of our own individual lives, our own individual families, our own individual stories, um, um, the truth is for every single one of us, when we experience pain, Right, when we experience adversity, um, it's completely natural. Right, The natural thing to do, um, me included, right, is to simply um, react to those things. And yet the truth is, for every single one of us, um, one of the things that we respect most in other people is how they respond to those difficult circumstances. How it is that they choose to respond to pain rather um, than, than simply react to it. And all throughout this course, the course of this series, we've said that, the, um, that all of us, right, that all of us, we actually have the ability to do this. We all have the ability um, to respond rather than react. But the problem is, um, the, the problem is we said that um, all of these things, the thing that actually prevents us, um, the response that, that prevents us from simply reacting to our circumstance, um, that, that isn't natural, Right? We said last week even, um, the response that has the potential to thwart the evil intent of evil people, we said that's absolutely na- not natural. But as followers of Jesus, um, the reason that we can respond to suffering in that way, the re- reason we can respond to pain in a faith-filled way, um, even when we don't have an explanation, even when we don't understand what it is that we're experiencing, is because um, even when we don't have a good reason or a good answer, we always have hope. Right? We always have hope because of what our Heavenly Father did for us. In His great mercy, it's our Heavenly Father who has given us a new birth, right? a new relationship with Him into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into, into a hope right? that can never perish or spoil or fade. And when we said that when, when this becomes the anchor of our experiences, when this becomes the way that we evaluate what it is that we experience both in our past as well as in our, our present, when we, we said when, when this becomes um, the anchor of our hope, then we will move forward better and not simply bitter, whatever it is that we experience. The challenge, however, right, the challenge for all of us in this is we said that the, that the, the response, the, the response that actually has the potential, to reverse the the natural course of things, right? We said that response isn't natural, right? Another way to say it is that a faith-filled response to suffering is, in fact, the least intuitive response, right? The response that will actually end up making the most difference for us going forward, that response is, in fact, the response that we're least likely to choose while we're suffering, And the truth is, every single one of us, we've seen this, we've experienced this in the lives of other people, right? People that we know that have chosen to react instead of respond, and then months later or or years later, they simply become a reflection, right? They become a reflection of circumstances that they didn't even choose, But as we've said each week, the right response, right, a thoughtful response, if you're a follower of Jesus, the faith-filled response, um, that response, that ensures that doesn't happen, right? Because a a faith-filled response to suffering is what actually opens the door for God to redeem pain and suffering. And so to illustrate all of this and to, um, to keep us deep in, in the emotion and the truth uh, of this statement, last week we began looking uh, at the life of a person that you're probably familiar with, a person by the name of, of Joseph, a character from the Old Testament. And in the life of Joseph, we discovered that one of the incredible things about Joseph's life is that he modeled this for us, um, not simply for a couple of months, right, not simply for a, a season or two. But Joseph actually models this response for us for for almost 30 years. And in Joseph's life, we actually see the power of a a faith-filled response to suffering. Right? The sanity-preserving, course-reversing power of a faith-filled response in the midst of circumstances that he did not understand and that he certainly did not ask for. Because the truth is, just like each one of us, right, Joseph, he didn't know the end of his story. In fact, Joseph didn't even know that his story would be a story that would be worth telling one day. And throughout the course of his life um, and throughout the course of his circumstances, Joseph continued to demonstrate the unusual response, right, the unexpected response, the faith-filled response to suffering. Now, Most of us are probably familiar with with Joseph's story, but to catch us all up because we want to pick up where we left off with last week, um, Joseph finds himself kidnapped by his brothers and he's sold off into slavery not once but twice. And and the person that he's now a a slave to, Potiphar, um, his master, Potiphar is the one who's receiving the recognition and and the blessing for Joseph's faithfulness and, and Joseph's hard work. And now Joseph has just been framed for a crime that that he didn't commit, and he's actually being punished for that crime. And the reason he's being punished for it is because he refused to do it. And at this point in Joseph's story, nobody is looking for Joseph, and nobody is looking out for Joseph. And maybe that's where Joseph's story intersects with your story. Because nobody is looking for you, and nobody is looking out for you. Or, or so it feels. And yet, in spite of that, Joseph continues to respond as if God was with him. And that leaves us with the question that we left off with together last week, right? How would a person in my circumstances, how, how would someone in, in your circumstances right now, how would someone in my circumstances respond if they were absolutely confident that God was with them, right? Not how would they react, because we all know what that looks like, But how would someone in my current circumstances, how would they respond if they were absolutely confident that God was with them, if they knew that their current circumstances were simply a chapter in the story and not the entire story? How would they respond if they knew, if they were confident that God was, in fact, with them? back to Joseph. Genesis chapter 39, verse 20 says this, Joseph's master, Potiphar, took Joseph and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, right here it is again, the Lord was with Joseph, right? While Joseph was being punished for something that he wouldn't do because he didn't do it, the Lord was with Joseph. While Joseph is being treated unfairly, While Joseph is being treated unjustly, the Lord is with Joseph, right? And this is, here's why this is so important. Because when you and I are in these kinds of circumstances, we want to cry out to God and say, okay, God, where are you right now? And God responds back to us and says, I am with you, right? But it doesn't feel like you're with me. It doesn't seem like you're with me. But our Heavenly Father says, no, I am right there with you. You. The Lord, it says, was with Joseph, and he showed Joseph kindness. Now, this word that is translated as the word kindness in the Old Testament in Hebrew is, in fact, a very, very important word. Um, It's this word right here. The word is Hesed, right? Go ahead and say it with me. Hesed. It's kind of a fun word to say. Hesed. Right? This is a very, very important word. You're going to hear more about this word in a couple of weeks. And the reason this word is so important is because it's a covenant word. In fact, a better translation of this word is the word loving kindness. Right? And, and the reason this is so important is because apparently Joseph thought of himself as being in some sort of a covenant with a God who has done nothing for him lately. Right? And what did this loving God do For Joseph, what kind of a relationship, um, what kindness did God show towards Joseph? Well, the Scripture tells us this. The Lord was with Joseph, and He showed Joseph kindness, and He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, which is a problem for us, right? Because the truth is, um, in our way of thinking, if God is with you and if God is for you, then you do not have a relationship with a prison warden months go by years go by right there, there's no weekends off for Joseph Joseph isn't going anywhere in his certain his, his his story um, he, his story doesn't certainly seem like it's going anywhere and seemingly out of nowhere and unrelated or unconnected to anything else happening in Joseph's life suddenly Suddenly, Pharaoh's wine taster and Pharaoh's baker have a falling out with with Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh um, gets so angry at them that he actually decides to throw them into prison, and they end up in the very same prison where Joseph is. And once again, we see this unusual twist develop in, in Joseph's story. In chapter 40, verse 4, it tells us this The captain of the guard, the one who's in charge of the prison, assigned the baker. And the wine taster to Joseph, and Joseph attended to them after they had been in custody for some time, right? Because a huge amount of time actually passes in this story. So after they've all been in custody some time, um, the wine taster, right? The wine taster um, and, and the butler, they um, they have this interaction with Joseph that's kind of funny. And and Joseph notices that one day, um, when he's serving them breakfast, he notices that both of these men seem very upset um, and and they seem very disturbed by something. And and if we can kind of separate ourselves from the familiarity of the story for a moment, um, Joseph walks up to these guys and he says to them, while they're in this dungeon, he says, hey, why are your faces so sad today? To which they could have said, hello, because we're in A dungeon? But Joseph doesn't say that, right? Joseph doesn't say that. Instead he says, okay, um, why are your faces so sad today? And the wine taster, he goes on to explain, both of these men in fact go on to explain, the wine taster and the baker, that they've had very vivid, very disturbing dreams and they do not understand what it is that these dreams mean, but both of them feel like there's some kind of a, a meaning. There's something important about these dreams. They're convinced that there's something more to them than they understand, but neither of them can under, understand or interpret the dreams. And it's in this moment that Joseph says something that this, to this butler and this wine taster that we do not want to miss, because Joseph looks at both of them and says, do not interpretations belong to God? Right, Joseph is still trusting Joseph is still believing in spite of all the craziness of his circumstance. Right, Joseph is still choosing to respond rather than simply react. And so he says to the wine taster and he says to the butler, um, Tell me your dreams. The wine taster goes first. And, and he gives Joseph all the details of his very vivid and yet very odd dream. And, and, and then Joseph sits back and he and he smiles at the wine taster and he says. I've got some good news. Within three days, right, within three days, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head and and restore you to your position, right? And this guy doesn't know if if Joseph is just making all, uh, all of this up. And it's at this point in the story That we actually discover something incredibly important about Joseph, something that I do not want you to miss, uh, especially um, if this story just seems a a little too difficult for you to believe. Because we discover something about Joseph that's actually true uh, uh, of all of us, and that's the fact that Joseph actually despised his circumstances, right? Joseph was not, even though Joseph had some sense that, that God was with him and that God was present in the midst of everything that was going on, Joseph was not immune to pain, right? And this is so important for us to remember, right? This is so important for us to remember um, because Joseph, he says to this wine taster, he says to the wine taster, listen, when all goes well with you, right? In other words, when everything that I've just told you comes true three days from now, remember me and show me kindness mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon right and so all throughout Joseph's circumstance even though God is present with him right Joseph is miserable Joseph hates what he's going through And see, I don't know about you, but this actually helps me. Because this is just another reminder that the people that we read about in the pages of this book, that they were in fact real people who felt what we feel, who struggle with the same things that we struggle with, who had the same doubts, the same questions, the same fears that we do. That we are not the first. And we're not the only ones to struggle when it comes to issues of pain and suffering? And like we said in the the first week, that we are not crazy when we continue to go to God for comfort even though we are absolutely confident that God could have have actually prevented our circumstances from happening in the first place. And the reason we're not crazy for doing this is because the, the thing that actually made the least sense of all the crucifixion of God's own Messiah, the the crucifixion of God's own Son, that actually resulted in the best possible outcome, the salvation of the world and the forgiveness of your sin and my sin. And so back to Joseph, right? Joseph listens to the wine taster's story and Joseph gives him the interpretation of the wine taster's dream, and so, um, so meanwhile, the baker is sitting there, and, he, and he's listening to all this, and he thinks to himself, okay, that, um, that, that, that turned out pretty good for him, and so, um, so my turn, right, my turn, do, do, do me next, do me next, right? And so Joseph sits down, and he tells the baker, okay, go ahead and tell me your story, and um, the baker tells Joseph his, his very vivid and his very odd dream, and then Joseph kind of looks at him, and says, I, I got to go. I, sorry, I should just probably leave now. It's not actually what Joseph said, but Joseph looked at him and said, listen, three days from now, things are not going to go so well for you because remember what I said to the last guy about Pharaoh lifting up his head? Well, for you, Pharaoh is actually going to lift off your head. Three days later, it's Pharaoh's birthday, and everything happens exactly the way that Joseph said that it would. And so now, right now that these dreams have come true, right, Joseph knows, right, it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time until the, the wine taster um, goes back to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, you're not going to believe this, but while I was in prison, I met this Jewish boy, and he told me about everything that was going to happen today, and his, his interpretation of my dream, it came true Absolutely. And so Joseph knows every time there's a knock on the door that he's on his way out, right? It's going to be his day that he's released from prison. And so Joseph waits expectantly. And yet the Scripture tells us that, that that's not what happened, that the wine taster actually did not remember Joseph. Instead, he forgot Joseph. And this is the man. Right? This is the man that God is supposedly with. Two more years go by. Joseph is now 30 years old. He hasn't seen his family. He hasn't seen his home since he was 17. And then seemingly out of nowhere, Pharaoh himself begins to have a series of, of dreams that, that no one can interpret. And finally, finally the wine taster, finally the wine taster, he remembers Joseph. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, remember a couple of years ago when we had that disagreement, right, which was totally my fault, by the way. And remember, Pharaoh, you, you, you threw me into a dungeon, which I completely deserve. But Pharaoh, you remember while I was there, um, I actually met a, a, a Jewish man, named Joseph, and he told me um, what it is that my dreams meant. And once Pharaoh heard this, the Scriptures tell us that immediately, right? Immediately, Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And what Joseph says next are perhaps some of the most courageous words ever spoken by anyone. Because remember, here's this this foreigner for whom God has done nothing for lately, and now he has an audience with the most powerful man in the world, the person who can set him free from prison. And Joseph looks into the eyes of Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh, I cannot do it. I I cannot do what you're asking me to do. Joseph looks in the eyes of the man who has the power to give him the freedom that he so desperately longs for and he says, I cannot do what you want me to do, but God. right? But God. Now the problem with this is that Pharaoh thought that he Was a god. And see, Pharaoh, he actually worshiped other gods. But Joseph says to Pharaoh, I cannot do it but God, but my God can, but my God will give Pharaoh the answer or the interpretation that he desires. And so, Pharaoh sits down, and he begins to tell Joseph all the details of his dream. And Joseph listens patiently, and Pharaoh finishes his story, and all of a sudden it's silent, and and nobody says anything. And Joseph looks at Pharaoh, and he says to Pharaoh, okay, Pharaoh, here's what your dreams mean. For the next seven years, there is going to be an abundance. there is going to be an incredible harvest of grain all throughout the land of Egypt. In fact, there is going to be so much grain that, that you're not even going to know what to do with it all. But after those seven years of abundance, after those seven years of plenty, there's going to be seven years of famine. In fact, the famine is going to be so severe, um, people aren't even going to remember the seven years of abundance. The famine is going to be so severe, um, you're not going to be able to grow anything anywhere, and people are going to starve. And Pharaoh is silent. Nobody says anything. And then Joseph. Joseph does the unthinkable. And Joseph actually tells Pharaoh what to do. Joseph begins to advise Pharaoh, and he says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, listen, this is what you need to do. Pharaoh, you need to make sure that there is someone who wakes up every single day focused on this problem. Pharaoh, you need to make sure that during these next seven years of of abundance, you need to make sure somebody wakes up every single day focused on getting the nation of Egypt through these seven years of famine. Scripture tells us that Joseph's plan, it seemed good to Pharaoh, and it seemed good to all of his officials, and so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Right, and this is amazing, right? Look at the next verse. He says this, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all of this known to you, There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people are to submit to your orders only with respect to the throne, Pharaoh says. Will I be greater than you? And so Pharaoh makes Joseph the prime minister of Egypt. And Joseph immediately goes to work preparing the nation of Egypt for the famine that's going to come in seven years from that day. And what Joseph does is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely brilliant because Joseph goes throughout the nation of Egypt and he begins building a whole series of these massive storehouses to store up as much grain as they possibly can. In fact, uh, Scripture tells us that Joseph, that he stored up such huge quantities of grain. Like the sand of the sea, it was so much that Joseph actually stopped keeping records Because it was just way beyond what they could even begin to measure. Seven years after the time of plenty, the rain stops. And no food will grow anywhere. And the people of the nation of Egypt, they begin to starve. And so Joseph, he opens up the gates to all of these massive storehouses. And he begins to sell them grain in Pharaoh's name. And just as is the case with all famines, eventually the famine moves not only through Egypt, but it begins to spread all throughout this region of the world. Soon it begins to affect the place where Joseph's family lives, his father Jacob and his brothers. And they begin to starve as well. And once again, this is where Joseph's story takes a very interesting and a very unexpected twist. Because when Jacob, when Jacob, when Joseph's father heard that there was grain in Egypt, right? He looked at his sons, and he says, why do you just keep looking at each other? See, you should read your Bible. Why do you just keep looking at each other? Do something. Why don't you just go down there to Egypt and buy us some grain so that we will live and not die? And now the stage has finally been set. If you know the story, Because Joseph, at this point, is now 40 years old. He hasn't seen his family since he was 17. And this will be the ultimate test of Joseph's ability to respond rather than simply react to his circumstances. Because if we could just put ourselves into Joseph's shoes for a moment, I think the truth is every single one of us know exactly how it is that we would react if we were Joseph right because joseph joseph was the governor of the land he's the second most powerful person in egypt which means ostensibly he's the second most powerful person in the entire world the person who sold the grain to all of the people and so when joseph's brothers arrive they they bow down to him with their faces to the ground but joseph right joseph as soon as he saw his brothers he recognized them but Joseph pretended to be a stranger. Right? Just imagine this moment in your mind. As soon as he sees them, right, Joseph remembers the, the terror of having his clothes ripped off his body. The, the terror of being thrown down a well. The, the experience of hearing his own brothers just ahead of him talk of killing him. The humiliation of being sold as a slave on the auction block. The fear of being taken from his home knowing that he may never see his family again. The loneliness of prison. The despair of being forgotten by the wine taster. And yet now, now Joseph is the one holding all of the cards, isn't he? And the people who harmed him, the people who made Joseph a victim, now they're asking for his mercy. And what would you do? How would you respond? The Scripture, it's really interesting, if you read through this, this is over the course of four or five chapters, the Scripture tells us that in this moment, Joseph has to actually pause, Um, that he kind of toys with his brothers a little bit. He he discovers from them that his father is still living. He he figures out that he actually has a brother that he's never met. Joseph even takes one of his own brothers um, as a hostage to ensure that the rest of the brothers and, 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 and his father um, will in fact come, come to Egypt. But then after that, Joseph does the most, the most remarkable thing. And Joseph once again chooses to respond rather than react. And he checks his own emotions and he checks his own instincts Joseph gathers all 11 of his brothers, including Benjamin, who he's never met before this moment. He brings all of them into this one room. He sends everybody out of the room, and his brothers are just so terribly confused. They have no idea what's happening right now. And before they can say anything, Joseph just looks at them, and he announces to them, and he says, I, I am Joseph. Right, and his brothers are just absolutely shocked at this point. They don't know what to say. They don't know what's going to happen. And before they can say anything, Joseph simply asks them, Is my father, Is my father still living? And see, now the, the brothers are, are terrified at this point. In fact, the, the scripture tells us that his brothers were not able to even answer that simple question because, because they were terrified at Joseph's presence. Don't miss this. But they did not need to be terrified in Joseph's presence because when they were absent, Joseph lived every day of his life as if God was present. And once again, once again, when it counts the most, Joseph chooses to respond rather than simply react. And he chooses a response that would allow for the redemption of his pain and his suffering, as well as yours and mine. Because standing in front of Joseph right now in this moment is the nation of Israel, the brothers who would one day become a nation, the nation through which one day would come the Messiah. The Messiah who would do for the world what Joseph was about to do that day for his brothers. Never ever underestimate the power of a faith-filled response to suffering. Because the truth is, none of us, just like Joseph, none of us have any idea of what actually hangs in the balance of our response to situations and circumstances and events that we did not ask for. Joseph's story wraps up like this. He brings his family all into Egypt Joseph continues to provide for his father, his brothers, their families, and their children for many, many, many years. Eventually, Joseph's father, Jacob, dies. And after the brothers all go and and bury their father, Jacob, together, the brothers who sold Joseph off into slavery, um, they they begin to think to themselves, uh, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, maybe Joseph has just been waiting. Right? Maybe Joseph has just been waiting until our father Jacob dies in order, in order to take his revenge on us. And so the brothers, they, they go to Joseph and they throw themselves at Joseph's feet and they say, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph looks at them and he says to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Guys, don't you understand? Don't you understand that our Heavenly Father has actually provided for all of our redemption from this pain? That He has redeemed my pain and my suffering. He has redeemed your pain and your suffering. Am I in the place of God? Here it is. You intended to harm me, right? You intended to harm me. That that day that you stripped me of my clothes, that day that you threw me into that well, that day that that you sold me off into slavery, um, that you intended to harm me, right? You held all the cards. The power was in your hands. You had evil in your hearts. You intended to harm me. The circumstances that normally turn victims into perpetrators, you did all of that. But not this time, right? Not this time. You intended to harm me, but God, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, right? Don't ever forget God's intentions became a reality through one individual's unexpected, unnatural, faith-filled response to suffering. Right? Responses, none of which seemed to matter at at the time. Right? Drop into Joseph's story at any point in his story. Take any one or two or three of his responses. None of them made any significant difference to Joseph's current, his immediate circumstances. But when taken together, all of them were a part of God's unfolding story of your redemption and mine. Right, choosing a faith filled response to suffering is what um, allows us the potential to, to, to move forward better in spite of it and not simply bitter from it. But see, here's the problem, and, and you, we all know this. We do not get to choose the it, do we? We, we don't get to choose the it. But our response, right, your response, is what determines, it is what impacts whether or not we will move forward better or move forward bitter in spite of it. So how would someone in your circumstances, how would someone in my current circumstances respond if they were absolutely confident that God was with them? Your response to this question, it is in fact an invitation. It is an invitation to a faith-filled response to suffering. Your answer to this question is the best way forward, right? It is the best way forward. There is more to your current circumstance than meets the eye. Your current circumstances, no matter what they are, they are not the story. They are a chapter in your story. The story of redemption that God is writing in your life. And see, that's the story. That is the story you want your life to tell because hindsight is always 20-20. Jesus, we ask that you would be the one who's writing our stories. And Father, we know that, that you are at work. You promise us all throughout your word. You give us examples and we can see that you are always at work and you are always working for our good, even in the midst of terrible circumstance. And yet, Father, it's so difficult for us to live in the truth of those words. Father, it's so easy for us to just give up hope. And so, Father, I pray and I ask, Father, that right now, in this room right now, for the people who are watching right now and who are suffering, for the people who are in despair, for the people who are hurting and who are asking very legitimately, God, where are you? That if you're real, why aren't you here with me? Jesus, I pray in this moment that you would speak into every one of those hurts, that you would speak into every one of those hearts right now, And that every single person in this room and at home watching right now and listening right now, Father, that they would actually hear you say to them, I am with you. I haven't left you. I will not abandon you. I am with you while you're hurting. I am with you while you're suffering. There is no need to fear. For I am your God. And I will give you strength. I will hold you steady. I will keep a firm grip on you. I will walk with you through the valley. I will be with you in the flames. I will see you through. And I will give you victory. In this life, or certainly in the life to come. That I have redeemed your brokenness and your sin that your suffering is not in vain and I am not absent. And your pain does not mean I have forgotten you. Father, I pray for all of us, regardless of our circumstance right now, that those promises The promises that you speak to us through your word, Old Testament, New Testament, from beginning to end. The promises of faithfulness that Jesus, that you have lived out for us. That you would remind us that that's real. That it's true. That it's true for each of us. And Father, I pray that you would give us the faith and the courage to never react to those circumstances but to respond to respond in a faith-filled way even when we are confronted with someone else's faith-less behavior Jesus, we know that you are good you promise us that and if we don't feel that right now in our hearts, Jesus, and I ask that you would remind us of that truth in your word, that you would remind us of that truth in song, and that as we worship you, we re- are reminded of the truth that you've given to all of us, that we will see a victory, whether it's today or tomorrow or in eternity. Jesus, that we don't know, but that we trust to you because you are good, and you've promised to never leave us or abandon us, but to always be with us. Jesus, we pray all of this in your powerful and in your mighty name.